BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Calling all operatives. From now to March 30th, MGM National Harbor invokes your skills to play Covert Cash, a spy-themed kiosk game series where classified missions, hidden rewards, and daily thrills await. Sign up for MGM Rewards to play and unlock up to $25,000 in hidden free play daily and entries into our grand escape car drawing on March 30th. Visit MGMNationalHarbor.com slash Covert Cash to begin your mission. Must be 21. Please play responsibly. For help, visit MDGamblingHelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hello, friends. Welcome to Unsiloed, the show that busts the echo chambers. If you dig hearing opposing perspectives about big issues from a point of mutual respect, if you like debate but love light, not heat, welcome home. This is Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Charlie. Good to see you. It's been, it's been way too long. I don't know. We've been uh, about a month without an episode. Yeah, we were lost in the uh, in the desert. Now we're back. I I a produ- our producer called me up and he's like, "Hey, uh, do I still have a job? Because uh, <laughs> you haven't said an episode lately." Right, right. But here we are. It's been a little while. January gone quick for you. It's almost over. I, I know, man. Yeah, I don't. I don't need another thing, another reminder of that almost being over. Yeah, for sure. One twelfth of the year gone. A lot, a lot going on. It's so funny, man. Like when it, I was so used to having these um, check-ins conversations, because in essence, you're talking about, of course, like we're talking about the podcast and, and whatever topic we're discussing, but it also becomes a good forum for us to just talk about things that are happening in the world. For sure. Know? Yeah. So I found myself plenty of time over the last you know number of weeks where something would come up and like, oh, oh. I want to talk about that. <laughs> I want to get into that one. And it just wouldn't happen. You know? We so missed kind of, Damar Hamlin. So we There's missed so much the Biden so much. Uh, stuff, which, by the way, Mike Pence apparently today. <laughs> everybody's got uh, you know everybody, so everybody's funny. got classified documents. <laughs> That's exactly what just happened. It's like in some ways it went from the biggest deal and like oh possible treason, you know, he's a he's a rogue agent, you know, all kinds of shit about Trump, right? To now like well, you know, the kind of the both sides kind of conversation. Well, maybe it wasn't as you know. You know, it's not the, quite as bad. It's not quite as bad. But now with Pence, it's like now I think that if these guys just keep on going, like they need to stop right now. Because if you just go down the list, <laughs> dude, it's going to like, be Corrine uh, Jean Pierre is going to find the documented things in her yeah, garage next. There is an episode. Uh, I think I mentioned to you a long time ago that they did. It was it was hilarious on SNL where they actually had it was like a like an HR person talking to all of the executives of this company, right? And they were talking to them because someone had recently discovered that they had like blackface when they were like young, like on their social media, right? So they're talking like the bad part about it. And everyone like kept on asking, like, what are the exceptions? They're like, what if you really like Michael Jackson? What if you like Tina Turner? Like, there's no blackface. Like, and at some point, the guy realized, okay, who in here has actually done blackface? Everybody. Every single person. I'm like, all right, never mind. Never <laughs> he just walks stuff. out. And I think it's, that's what we're talking about. At this point, it feels that way. It's yeah. like, Who's just next? Like the, the if they just look with anyone, I think they're gonna find something. And and also I was thinking about the practical implication of it. I mean, I just think that I can see how that happens. 
I can see how that happens. Well, it's like, like somebody leaving their job with work material. I mean, yeah, it's I against the law, happens, but yeah. it happens everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, of course, like you, you talk about the distinction between like cooperating with the with the DOJ versus not. Yeah, I mean, it's it's different, but at the same time, it's still like the net result is the same one. Which yeah, is, there's some there's, there's some tweets lack of and security stuff that didn't age well. There's some lack of security there in, in general, as at least some of the documents. But that was pretty funny. But I, we've made we've made some commitments this year on the show, Jesus, to be less political. So we, and we did down, it right when George DeSantos, right when it got interesting. What the hell, man? Like what, what a terrible That's decision. Like a case study. It was um, like this dude shows up. Oh man. So we can't talk. Okay. We can't no, talk of about course it. we can talk about it. I'm <laughs> just, just saying. So just trying funny. to keep you honest it's on just, what we discussed earlier. So funny. It's so funny. I mean, uh, to be honest, I haven't researched enough about this dude. All I know is I like, keep seeing headlines every day. It's just like every day a new lie comes up with this guy. It's amazing. It's yeah. like the guy can't help himself. It's, I think it's we should so just have funny. a meme show where we just look at funny memes and describe them and probably 80% of them will be of him. Yeah, 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 yeah. But Anyways. here's an interesting thing that yeah. I wanted us to talk about. And the reason I wanted to, uh, to, to talk about this is because, you know, we're trying to link the show more directly with um, our work at Black Brown, more mm-hmm. directly with, um, you know, things that drive business, et cetera. And consequently, more directly with a kind of like a flywheel or ecosystem around things that we're talking about on LinkedIn things that we're doing in our newsletter, things that we're doing on the show, and just kind of have a little bit more rhyme or reason between these things. And just a couple of weeks ago, I put something on LinkedIn. And you know me, I, I'm, I'm mostly a reader, not a poster, although that's changed quite a bit this year, doing a lot more content. But I put something on LinkedIn. And the thing I put on LinkedIn just in the last 10 days or so has amassed for LinkedIn for me, it's a lot, so caveat, but 13,000 views, 120 engagements, a, you know, two dozen comments, 11 reposts, which that mm-hmm. to me is the most impressive one. Somebody reposting and then commenting on what I commented, because that's really weird. You can, I guess you can just share the thing directly, yeah, yeah. but you can repost it and add thoughts and whatever. And the story got a lot of conversation going. I mean, people were commenting in the comments to each other, commenting to me. And the headline of what I shared was America needs carpenters and plumbers but try telling that to Gen Z. Mm -hmm. And I added some commentary on that, which, you know, we can get into, but the basic premise of the story, which I think it just has a bunch of different permutations that we can get into. But what it basically said was 49% of, there was a 49% drop off from last year to this year based on one of these job application, um, it was in the last two years, from 2020 to 2022. Sorry, from 2020 to 2022, mm-hmm. a nearly half drop-off in applications to technical trades, things mm-hmm. like plumbers, electricians, carpenters, et cetera, among young people. Mm-hmm. And th- this is a piece from NPR, and it went through to discuss a variety of things right. and whatever. My commentary on this, just in a nutshell, was that I saw like this as, first of all, a problem because... Mm-hmm most of the people who are in those trades are older, right? And if you can't find younger people, it's like what's happening in the aviation world, right? So if you if all the pilots are 65 and they're all retiring and you don't have new pilots, you're on a little bit of a demographic cliff. Mm-hmm. So that was like the first issue. But then the second one that I thought was interesting, and maybe this reflects more of my own personal experience, was that when I was coming up, doing something other than going to college after high school was like you kind of failed, Something mm-hmm. went wrong, mm-hmm. right? It, it, it's your safety net. It's your whatever. And I just think in the context of a lot of what's going on with technology today, especially like 
uh, AI and chat GPT and all this stuff. And it's potential to displace a lot of white collar work that, and this demographic cliff and the demand for blue collar that this whole thing is like sort of coming together. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's a bunch of different things, but my point was basically it's a demographic cliff. And I think there's been this kind of moral stance around blue collar work where it's okay for your kid, but I wouldn't wish it on mine kind of thing. That's a dynamic that I commented on, but it sparked something which was a lot of conversation. For sure. And I think there is a, I mean, I I, I honestly think that's still the case now. I mean, I think most people will see the case where, you know, I want my kids to have the best opportunities in life and people are probably not thinking in general, until there's exceptions that in order for those best opportunities to be fulfilled, that 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 could be done through blue collar work. It doesn't mean that it's not like worth, like work that is not worth doing, of course, or that it isn't like, you know, valuable, but I think most people will see it that way. I think that the, the dynamic though of Gen Z dropping off so much is a really interesting one because that notion to you, to the point that you're making, it's not a new thing by, by any means. As a matter of fact, I would actually argue to some extent that it's actually blue collar work. It's seen a little bit better now than it was 20 years ago. You know, to to your point about, I think the, the the majority, like when I was, you know, 20 years ago, when I was like in that sort of age range of, of thinking about college or whatever, actually, I guess at the point I already gone to college, but it was still the case where people were doing, like we're doing blue, blue collar work out of necessity, not out of choice. Mm. Right. And it was like, if given the choice, they would do something else and then go to school, et cetera. So that was like always a push. Um, so I would say now I'd be curious to understand what is that? What is the attitudes? How that's actually changed? If it's seen the same, worse or better. Mm. And I would argue that it's probably somewhere between the same and or maybe a little bit better than what it was before. Right. Um, not necessarily worse. But I think the Gen Z dynamic one of the takes that I was thinking about this as to what that what could be causing that is um, maybe the, maybe the the issue is in blue collar work. Maybe the issue is that white collar work has become so convenient. Mm. We've we went through a period. We're going through a massive period of course correction in the tech industry uh, as it relates to the workforce. Right, you've had these businesses that have gone in massive hiring sprees and now having to readjust. Right, we we're talking about Microsoft who announced so a ten thousand. Uh, Google on Friday, later yeah, 12,000. Microsoft was 10,000. And it was interesting because when you look at the data for Microsoft, how much they had, it was like over 40,000 people that they've hired in the last two years. So it's still a net 30,000 30. you know, increase. And you think about Amazon, you think about all these different companies that were going to these massive hiring sprees, people starting to work from home. So having more flexible work schedules, like everyone is either... There's few people that I know that are fully back in office, like 100% back in office with no flexibility. There's some level of flexibility, whether it's fully hybrid, remote, whatever it be the case. I think the the work conditions in general for white collar have gotten better. People are paying, paying more, more flexibility. I just think they become more attractive. I mean, one of the things that was hard, I think over the last two years, if you were trying to hire someone, like you had to kind of overpay to hire people. And maybe what's been going on in the thing with Gen Z's is that they've seen this and that is what's the, that's the bright, shiny object to go after. The brass ring. And maybe that's what's pulling more people in that direction that is taking people away from taking some of these blue collar work, as opposed to having a more negative view of blue collar work to begin with. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So you're basically saying it's that white collars become more attractive, not that blue collars become less attractive. You I think mean, it's, I think pr- the conditions are, I mean, look, th- think about just from a culture standpoint. I mean, we were, we grew up in an age where like you show up, you work hard, 
you shut the hell up, you work hard, and then maybe one day someone gives you a shot to go up, right? You stay in the same company, you 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 work, you know, you basically pay your dues. Remember that that comment? Oh yeah. You can even talk about paying your dues in this generation. You can't. And, and by the way, I'm not hating on young young people at all, but it's just it's just a very different mentality. Most people jump around. Most people that are coming to a job are within the first few months are already having a conversation about like when's giving my next promotion. Was my flexibility to some extent? I give people a lot of credit. Like the the, the level of boldness, the level of entrepreneurship that, that young people have in general, is just think is way higher than what it was before. But I think there's something to be said about how leadership should respond. Assuming leadership is from a different generation, mm-hmm. should respond to that inclination. In other words, do you go, yeah. "Oh yeah, let's talk about your promotion," or do you go, "Wait a minute, do you find a new tactic to say the old thing in a different way, or do you say a different thing?" In other words, do you find a new way to say? earn your dues right, right? or do you not say that and go, yeah, let's start mapping out your, your next uh, salary increase. Yeah, This I mean, just happened to you recently. Yeah, right? yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think for me it's been, uh, I, I frankly love that, that kind of attitude in the sense that it's like, great, you want to go up. Let's talk about what we need to do in order for you to continue growing. Let's talk about leaning into your passion, leaning into how we best utilize you. I want to see some massive proactiveness. I always see massive, communi- you know, over communication from your side. Like let's talk about all the things that need to be done in order for you to get to the role that you want to get to. And then also trusting people that are younger with more leadership opportunities. Mm. I mean, I have that situation right now. I've got a couple of guys in our team that are super young and have massively stepped up, massively. Like these kids, like one of them, like just either barely graduated or I'm not even sure if it's entirely graduated yet, to be perfectly <laughs> right. honest, right? And this guy is acting, working, like he's been in, in the industry for the last 10 years. Yeah. Because Shot part caller. of it is they've been working since they were like 15 years old True. in media, creating content, being on social. Or like, maybe a number of gigs. They're so far, like further ahead in terms of understanding the ecosystem of distribution of content creation that they do have years of work experience, even if their age doesn't quite align to that work experience. Yeah. So I, I don't mind it. I mean, I think when the case when you have someone that is like sitting here wanting the promotion, wanting to get all the accolades. And hasn't done the work, nor is not willing to the work, then it's like, good luck, buddy. Like, wish you the best. Like, that's mm. nothing wrong with that. I, I, I mean, this kind of goes back to the, I think the importance of culture, building the right kind of culture in an organization is so critical, especially in a, in a scenario where you have a hybrid workforce. But I don't know, when I, when I see the story, I, I guess that's the one thing that I sort of think about is like, are people actually view blue collar less than what they viewed it 10 years ago, 20 years ago? I don't know. I I would, I would think not, but I could be wrong with that. I, I, I don't know either, but I would think that if anything, people have in general, like more distance between themselves and that kind of work Yeah. because it's just, it's, first of all, it's less seen. It's certainly less taught. This is another point. A lot of the commentary on this from people who commented was around the fact that they could remember in high school as I can, I'm mm-hmm. sure you can too, that woodshop auto mechanics, like those things were offered in public schools that went away at some point. Mm -hmm. So I think my guess would be that they're just not exposed to those things as often. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's not negative, but it's neutral. Neutral has increased, you know, because if I don't have exposure to something. Right. Yeah, that's true. How can I engage with it? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, part of it, I think that has to play a pretty big role, I have to assume, is the exposure to these these different programs. I mean, you see it from your own mm-hmm. personal experience, right? You, you talk about your son who is, uh, maybe talk about, talk about a little bit about that. Well, I, I added to the comment that on this particular post that um, my two bottom two uh, kids, 18 and 20, uh, the 18-year-old is a senior in high school, and he goes to high school 
during the day, basically, right? So like eight o'clock to two or three o'clock, whenever it is that get out. But then after that, he goes to the Southern California um, ROC. I forget what ROC stands for. They, the acronym is SCROC, but it's basically a place where you can get hands-on uh, auto mechanics, HVAC, plumbing, electrician, that kind of stuff. Now, his thing is auto mechanics because he's a little bit of a gearhead. He loves cars, loves classic cars, always has. And the idea of like working on cars, connecting brain with hands has always been something for him. He's kind of a creator, Mm -hmm. a maker, that kind of thing. My other son is very intelligent, you know, graduated, you know, straight A's, got a scholarship to go to Embry-Riddle, which is an aeronautical school. But honestly, his view of college, I've had to convince him to continue. He's like, dad, I don't need it. I want to be a pilot. It's not a requirement. I know I got in. I'm getting all my hours. He works in an aviation school. He's got all his certificates. Like, I find myself grasping at straws to make the argument to right. go to school. And he's going to an our aeronautical college, right? Yeah. And it's just I mean, really I would weird. say one thing that is really interesting about what you're saying, like even from my own behavior and hiring people, is the, the amount of time that I actually spend looking at what education someone actually has is like zero to none. Like but I what, may look at it. I may, may look at it. But half of the time, I don't even know. Or like, it's not, it's so not even part of the conversation. But the, but the question to ask yourself is, what would you do if it was missing? In other words, if the education part just said high school, that's, what would you do? That's my point. You, like, you would miss it entirely. I, I don't, I'm trying to think here, the last few people that I've hired, how many people I've actually asked if they've even gone to college? Well, okay, but forget about asking. Just like that you see their resume and you notice that they went, they have a degree from a university. Let's pretend it wasn't there. Yeah, honestly. How does that impact I think it, it depends by role, of course. It depends by role, but- I'm roughly much more from the school of thought that I don't, I don't know how much, I think it's helpful. Look, I have an MBA. Like I went to a lot of school, like I paid a lot of money. So it's not like I'm by no mean an anti-education person, just to be clear, uh, yeah. right? Like I have the debt to show it, right? To, to back my, my facts here. But I'm just saying as a person that hires people mm-hmm. and tells people, I think about their education less and less. I'm much more interested in their experience, much more interested in what skills they have much more interested in their people skills. Mm. Like what what EQ does someone actually have? How much my biggest factor for hiring anyone is intellectual curiosity. I swear, like I've I've become so adamant that that is the the key to success of people. I it's could be wrong. absolutely critical. I think it's important. No, <laughs> it's be, super critical. I could be way, putting too much weight on it. No, but like, I don't think so. Just, especially not for what you're doing. It's such a big driver for people. I think especially when you're running organizations mm-hmm. that, are in a, that are in a mode of high growth and high change, having people who could adapt quickly to, to changing situations is super important. And I think people that have a natural like propensity to want to learn more. I just, in my experience, but they just adjust better. And therein therein lies a big point, a big problem, because people who are very intellectually curious are good at at questioning things, are Mm -hmm. good at not assuming. They're good at testing and, uh, you know, testing the boundaries and all of that. And sometimes that runs afoul of EQ, Mm -hmm. which is the exact same thing that you said is also a priority. Right. So those are the, those are things that are oftentimes intention. Going back for two seconds, though, to what you said about the college degree, I think my theory, because I agree with you, I'm, I'm in the same camp, but I think my theory is that if most managers who do not see, it's it's a pass-fail. It's like a it's like a do-not-pass-go thing. Yeah. If the degree is there, great. I can go on to the important stuff. If the degree isn't there, it's like now there's a giant question Well, mark. I would say, yeah. And even on that, if I want to be really honest with myself, I, I think that in most cases when we put a job 
um, posting that were saying that it requires a, a, a degree. So we, it already be, maybe filtering people out that wouldn't otherwise be. But the reality people that have hired, I mean, it's a number of those, those folks that just don't have it or are still in the process, still in school. Half of the time, I don't even know how old they are. Like we talk about, <laughs> but, but you mean like in the case, like I don't even know they're still like in, in, yeah. in an age where very likely they still be in school. Like I'm more concerned with what like their their personal kind of orientation and how they view the world and how they create content and or in this for specific roles of course right i do think that there's much more skilled roles much more that, that require a lot more um uh specialization that it just makes sense like and this is frankly what like what turn- like a particular field like a stem engineering yeah yeah stem, yeah, STEM yeah. is just it's just very specialized that's frankly was the biggest turnoff for me the reason I never continued engineering, I knew it was like my junior year, sophomore year in college that I didn't want to be an engineer. And the reason is that every time I met any of the engineering alumni and asked them what they did, they would describe like this one specific area they're working on that was so specific that I was like, that's fucking boring. Like, so what happens if that sucks? Like, when, like, when do you get to like see the bigger picture? When do you get to step away from this one little component that you're working on, a part of this massive infrastructure, right? Right. Like. Uh, that sounds kind of boring. And but, I, so I realized it a long time ago. And then everyone kind of had to get become more and more specialized, and like double, double, double down on everything that you're doing. And that's what really bored me. But I could see in those cases, if you are any of these organizations, Raytheon, you know, uh, um, I'm like in a North Europe, any of those, right? Like, yeah, of course. Like, yeah. you have to have very much specialization. I think for the stuff that we're doing, especially in the context of media, communications, content, storytelling, like on that is... It helps some, and it depends. But it's like just a quick tangent. Like I've I've heard comedians say all this time. It's like if you're a comedian who like had to go to like comedy school, like good luck. Like you're Michael probably Scott you're probably already out. Office. You're 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 already like improv. Just, you're not gonna be you know be someone that probably is gonna be very successful. Yeah, and I think there's something to be said about that. Even even with the you know specialized field though. Again, I think of my son who's the pilot. Aviation is uber specialized, right? I mean, by aircraft, you have to know physics, you have to know weather, you have to know meteorology, you have to have some element of business savvy, you have to be, in a way, customer centric, Mm -hmm. you have to understand the human anatomy and how that works, you have to understand so many different things. But I'm telling you that I struggle to impress upon that son that any of those things need to be in the domain of a four-year degree because even leaving high school, he Mm. had self-taught so much of that to himself, even on like, you know, YouTube and all these other platforms that are available to get all this information. So the idea that you can learn by interaction, community, online, doing, experiencing, and now with the whole... chat GPT thing, you know, where like you can get the lesson ahead of time, like be taught yourself. It's going to get harder, even for specialized fields, I think. But in the case of aviation, because so much of the learning is in doing, like is is some, I mean, my limited understanding of it is so much is it based on hours of actually doing. I could see how, yes, you need to know the theory and the theory is important, but it's really the practice that really gets someone to uh, really be a pilot, right? Because you have to kind of throw all your certifications and it's all like the hours and hours of work where I think there's other industries where the theory is such a more, plays such a more important part than the actual doing itself where I could see the case where it still becomes like really, really valuable. I mean, look, I, I think in engineering, as an example, in programming, the education piece is nice, but you could give someone a test and say like, do you know how to program? Like, can you code this? Sure. And they know how to, well, great. 
let's go. Like, it, it, you know, it's, it just depends on some, on some of these roles. But I, I do think that it's playing, to some extent, a lesser role. One thing I just I was just find it right now, yeah. Charlie, because I'm really curious about this whole attitudes around blue-collar work. And there was a piece, and this is back from February of this past year, of 2022, right? Where it was saying that 67% of blue-collar workers say that COVID-19 pandemic changed how society views their job. And I think it was all related to this this idea of es- essential stuff. jobs, right? Yeah. Essential function. That's why I my argument without knowing the facts, you know, no, it ratchets it up the importance. Be that the importance is yeah. actually people I think, think you're it's right. more valuable than rather than less valuable. And I saw a similar statistic. People value the work more because they went without seeing it or without right. having it for right. such a period of time that obviously it went up. That hasn't correlated with people wanting to go into those fields though. Right. It's like blue collar workers remain optimistic about the future. They feel more respected and appreciated than in the past. They are proud of the work they do and the majority like the work they do. They encourage others to pursue similar careers. And while they have concerns, the vast majority are not worried about losing their jobs or being replaced by automation. That's a really that's interesting. super interesting. But th- don't you think that that's a, a great one, right? Because one of the arguments that I, w- that I was going to make, you know, maybe this is sort of a residual effect of the move to automation. You know, when I think about People talk about the steel industry, the automotive mm-hmm. industry, mm-hmm. fracking, like all these things that are, have either moved out, being deprioritized, or these interests trying to find ways to just like hold on to whatever little piece they still have of, 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 of their job uh, lifestyle to be able to continue doing. And so much that has been moved out, does that, is it a res- residual effect of, of that? And maybe what's happened is that all the, the big jobs that we're going to get automated have already kind of been automated. And therefore, what's left over are more like your plumber, mechanic, and things like that that are hard to automate. I had a guy on, going back to the original article, I had a guy who, frankly, I don't know. That's how you know your post is really doing good when people are commenting that you never, you don't know. Um, I had a guy say that automation will always start with the roles requiring the least education. And he asks, in 50 years, will we need plumbers, electricians, and carpenters? My answer to him is that that there's a difference, right, between what you call something and what the use case is, right? So he asked, in 50 years, will we still need um, uh, carpent- and plumbers, electricians, and carpenters? I think the short answer is yes, because you're. The, he, I think he was kind of conflating the tasks of doing something with well, the actual needs. Well, right? no. In other words, people are still going to be living somewhere. They're still going to need to dispose of their waste. So I, I would argue it's the, it's the wrong metric to use. It's not about the require the least education, require the least experience, right? See, the thing is about when you're a plumber, the good plumbers know what to look for. Yeah, They've had, they've had, they've dealt with all they this crap all the, the time. Phone. So someone can have a, a small amount of education to get started, but the more experience they are, the hardest to replace that person. Yeah. Right. When you're talking about putting together something in an assembly line, where it's a very mechanical aspect that you're putting this bolt in this specific thing time and time again, not only does it require a little bit of education, but also requires a little bit of experience because after 20 minutes of doing it, like, yeah, I got it. You know, you're not the- getting what, like, you're not becoming more efficient. There isn't necessarily problem solving. I think a lot of those jobs that we're talking about that are blue collars are problem solving jobs. You bring in a blue, co- you bring in a, a plumber, you bring in a mechanic. Those are, you know, there. Yes, you could automate some of it by using some of the, uh, like you know, you do some of the computer analysis, some of the machines, etc. But it, as long as it requires some kind of problem solving aspect to it, and where experience matters rather than the education to get started, I think that's the the better point of distinction. And that experience also includes a lot of um, workarounds and solving for things. Right to your point, problem solving. One of the most popular categories on uh, reels is like people hacking things. Right, like yeah. hacking the fix. 
yeah, and these yeah. are pros that are doing it, right? Like the yeah. way to whatever, get your leather that tore in your car to be reupholstered without having mm-hmm. to go to some, like there's all these different things. And people know that by virtue of the experience that you talked about. My point with this guy though, and tell me if you think I'm onto something or if I'm mm-hmm. missing it, was that he was conflating tasks with needs. In other words, in 50 years, people would still need domiciles, a place to live, mm-hmm. right? They would still need systems to, to dispose of bodily waste. They would still need what carpentry is, which is basically the crafting of materials to fit non-standard use cases. That's what a carpenter does. A carpenter who builds a deck, like if there was an out-of-the-box way that people could buy the thing for them, a lot of them would. But what a carpenter does is he does non-standard use cases, like, and he uses materials to do that. Right. I don't think those use cases change in 50 years. Something has yeah. to achieve that. Yeah. I mean, you can make the argument some technology can help soften those use cases. Like 3D printing is a good example of of solving four cases for like non-standard measures or anything. Like literally. Yeah. You can, although it hasn't really, I have a friend who actually has one. A 3D printer? <laughs> He's yeah. an engineer. Well, wanna, but, but they're so like. You want to laugh. The first, uh, uh, the first functioning, like where I actually saw a 3D printer work and do something mm-hmm. was at my son's uh, trade school. It was used in to machine and fabricate parts for cars that in some cases are out of production. Mm-hmm. So they actually used it to fabricate parts. Like that's the first time I've ever, ever seen one. And it's, it was right. used in a blue, blue collar kind of use case. Yeah. It, ma- it makes sense. It makes complete sense because you need to like solve for things. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I, I mean, I guess it could be an example of one, but you're right. I mean, the reality is those needs are continuing to be there. I still go back to like, in my mind is the, is the problem solving piece. And, the, and, I, and I'm equating problem solving with experience, meaning that the more experienced you are, the better you are solving those problems, right? That maybe occur with the blue collar work. And the more of that you have, or the more crafty, the more unique something can be, right? This goes back to the artistry of things. Then I think those are likely to stay around longer or being more manual versus being fully automated. I saw a uh, comment on Nextdoor, um, because, mm-hmm. you know, I live in, you know, where I live in this neighborhood and everybody comments on things going on in the neighborhood. And one lady was saying, don't ever work with this plumber again. And I was like, oh, that's interesting because I know mm-hmm. we're going to be talking about this. So I looked up what she was complaining about. And she was like, I don't want to say it was his work because all of that was really good. And I don't want to say it was because he was late because he was on time and he finished exactly in the amount of time that he said. But then he charged me $770 for a hundred dollar part and like an hour's worth of work or whatever. And it really brought to my mind the fact that in any market system, right, demand and supply matter. Right now, and of course, we live in LA, right? But uh-huh. right now, it's hard to get somebody right. to come do electrical work and do whatever. So the prices have gone up. Like, you you, you, you want to go up on the queue? <laughs> I charge a 20% premium. My father-in-law, <laughs> you know, is a carpent, master carpenter, and he hangs a lot of doors. And he mm-hmm. told me, he's like, I can get $1,500 for hanging a door. He's like, I used to get like 150 bucks for hanging a door. That's crazy. And, and That's so crazy. We, we haven't talked about the economic piece of this. And the reason I have in Jesus is because it often is used as the reason why you should consider blue collar jobs. Like, oh, they, they can make a lot of money. That's true in some cases, not in others. But I feel like it kind of cheapens some of why somebody would want to work with their hands as like the only reason to do something is if I can make an income similar to somebody who's sitting in an office, mm-hmm. but there is an economic uh, point to be made. For sure. And it's right now there, yeah. it's like, you're making a lot, a lot of money in quotes relative to other jobs, even coming out of college. Right. Right. I mean, the, the, the trade-off is that I think between white collar and blue collar is also to what degree moving up in a organization, moving up in status in any way matters to you. 
Because it's hard. I just think it's harder. You could always see. I mean, you could become your own boss and entrepreneur and have, kind of have your own business. But usually within organizations, it's like you kind of are, are at that role. And unless you decide to do it on your, like you have like two very different modalities, right? It's like you're either like do the worker bee or you launch your own or thing. Your own, there's like, or owner, installer like, or owner. <laughs> there's like almost no in between, right? It's tough. I think there's maybe some scenario where there's an in between, but. Yeah, that's interesting. So Whereas there's the no corporate collar, ladder. You have the ability to continue to move up Increment. if it's important to you, right? I don't know. It may not be. Uh, I also think there's a little bit of a movement that I've seen, and, and frankly, I see it more from the lens of like Instagram, although it's, it's a terrible lens to look through because I know how, how much that can be just mm-hmm. influenced by your own algorithms, right? But like, there is, I think, a little bit of a movement of back to nature in some cases. I've seen there more is. people talk about it. More people like want to be more organic, want to be actually more my, in the, it's, in the, it's, the, it's my courage or cringe this week. And, uh, and I think, not. okay. And I think that is encouraging in the sense that you know, as we're talking about AI, we're talking about some of this, frankly, all these losses in jobs in the tech sector. Maybe those are all opportunities to sort of rethink some of these, some of these other kind of professions that get you closer to um, these crafts that have been around for a long time that are just as important as they were, if not more, to your point, because it's such a like, lack of, of some of those folks. It's an interesting point that you bring up about the corporate ladder, too, because I hadn't considered that. But I, I actually would differ with you a little bit in the sense that you say if it's important to you. I think if it isn't important to you, after a certain amount of time, people look suspiciously at you in the cor- in the white collar world. If you've been a frontline mm-hmm. contributor for longer than whatever, pick a number, seven years, mm-hmm. ten years, people are like, "Well, he's not, amb- she's not ambitious. He yeah. doesn't want the next step." Yeah. So I don't even know that it matters. I think it's built into the cake. Yeah, yeah. There's 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 just too many examples of that. To your point. Yeah, there's so many examples of that. It's, it's hard to make an argument against that. If you could, would you bring back um, auto shop? Oh, wood, for sure. Woodworking? Why do you think it, it left? I don't, uh, because we continue to defund our education program. I mean, that's just the reality, man. We've been cutting money away from education for a long time. And when, when it comes to, should we be offering English class or woodshop? One of them has to get cut. And for a while, it was all of your physical education programs, right? Those were getting cut. And then there was like a little bit of pushback. Those get brought back a couple of days a week. And I think it's that. Uh, but I think this idea of people work, like people getting kids, getting experience on real life things, I think it's really important. Like knowing how to fix something, knowing how to like, just makes you, I think, just, frankly, to me, the whole idea of just like knowing how to do things with your hands, it's just an important thing. Like no matter what kind of job you do, just being able to kind of hold your own a little bit, I think it just is a good life skill to have, even if you never decide that's going to be a trade that you want to do. I would agree with you that the funding of educational programs is a huge contributor, if not the, if not the largest one. But I think mixed in with that is mm-hmm. something that we don't talk about enough, or at least I haven't heard, which is a lot of people in academic settings look down on trade and vocational work and yeah. for the same reasons that i mentioned at the top of the thing i think what got people interested in this piece was the fact that i said at the very end was mm-hmm. i was one of those people i know because at least it was me mm-hmm. that like i thought that it was sort of a lesser than thing and i think there's some of that which is yeah. you know you should get this advanced degree and whatever it's always better than being a car mechanic always better than being <laughs> you a know line worker i know something funny so when I was studying uh, in school for my undergrad, um, and people would ask me, what is it you're studying? I would say, oh, I'm, I'm studying mechanical engineering. And people would always be like, oh, you're going to be a mechanic. That's awesome. Like, <laughs> were, the reaction wasn't a, wasn't a diss from right. most people. They were like, that's great. That's like, great. You're going to be a mechanic. Good for you. And I yeah. was like, no, 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 no. I don't, you know, it's not yeah. a mechanic. It's not. But it, it's funny. I never got offended by it. I, I found it really endearing. 
A, that it's, it's all a matter of like what we're exposed to, of course, right? Mm. Most people that I was well speaking to never heard of that. They didn't know what it was. They didn't know it was a thing. So they, of course, heard of mechanics. And it wasn't, it was, just, it was both, a, it, it reflected both the lack of exposure, but also just the genuine goodwill and like happiness people had. They're like, oh, that's great. Like, that's, that's awesome that you're doing something with your life. And, and in those cases, at least my experience, because people I was interacting with, like, they all saw it as a very positive thing to do that. But I thought it was like a really such a different because I'm yeah. sure if you had the same conversation with somebody else and they kind of misunderstood you, it would be looked down upon. Like, oh, you're gonna be a mechanic. Yeah. Oh, not, no, I'm not. That's, that's not that great. Yeah. Yeah. What do you what, what advice would you give um, you know, people maybe in leadership positions with respect to how to view somebody who either has that experience, came from that experience, or that kind of thing, or maybe is interested in that. In other words, like, you know, take the test of the resume reviewer for a role that you're looking at. Right. And somebody is maybe, you know, my friend is an example, Blake, um, put himself through school on a construction site. Like that's what he did. Right. Mm -hmm. But there was a long period of time in his professional career where he never talked about that because he feared that that would be seen as like, right. You know, whatever, whatever you're going to, however you're going to say it, but not Mm -hmm. positively. Mm -hmm. I'm just curious is there any best practice or approach Look, or I, thoughts on this? Yeah, man. I, I think for anyone that is uh, out hiring people uh, and especially trying to build work culture in a hybrid or remote environment, um, finding people that have good work ethic is really important. Like it's, re- it's really important. And it's nothing like, like interacting with people that have done hard jobs that I think it builds character. <laughs> Maybe I'm super old school thinking about it that way, but I think I do think it builds character. And I frankly think that people like that bring something more to the table that I will say merits them being considered even more, mm. right? Now, the whole thing about schooling and, and, and how much education is required, I think it depends on the on the role. And I will go back to, it just, I would prioritize, I prioritize more experience. I prioritize definitely intellectual curiosity as being a big driver. Now, frankly, a lot of the roles that I'm looking at are also a little bit younger and a little bit like more entry level. But the reality is, in most cases, I may look at it, but I've, I've, I've given it less and less thought what level of formal education someone actually has. And I'm much more interested in what experience, what their thoughts are, how they think about problem solving. Um, that could be just me, but, uh, but I think it's, it's important. And I've seen that happen much more in the tech sector as well. I mean, even for looking at resources that we're looking at, we're, we're looking at resources all the time that are remote. You know, I have a number of people in my team that are all based out of Mexico and Latin America. And frankly, the conversation is not like, where did you go to school? The conversation like, tell me about what stuff that you've done. Show me an example of some of the work that you've done. Let me send you something and see what, what you can do. Like, that's what it's like. It's like, show me rather than tell me and where they went to, whether they were self-taught, whether they, they learned at university. Like, it's, I guess it is still important, but, but I personally just haven't given it a lot of attention. Mm. My wife is kind of a case study in this because she doesn't have a degree from university. Mm -hmm. And she's always, throughout our entire relationship, there's been a couple of of attempts to go back and finish her degree, and she never has. Mm -hmm. But And it bugs her a great deal. But I've, you know, and maybe because I have a degree, uh, my point of view with her is always like, why does this bug you? Because it shows up. You know how people have imposter syndrome? Mm -hmm. It shows up for her. She goes into a room, she's like, well, I don't have the certificate or degree. I'm like... You are a, you run like three businesses. Right. You're a successful nonprofit founder. You know how to do everything from 
bake a cake to design an event space to run a marketing campaign. It's like, you don't understand. I'm telling you because I went to college. It's not that, like, I'm trying to convince her, right? But it is important to a lot of people to have got that nod. I I, I totally get it. You know, um, it's easy, like I will say even like everything I just said, it's easy for me to make that comment about how I I personally don't prioritize education as much when I'm talking to an individual because I am pretty educated. And when if someone questions me on that, I could lean back on that pretty hard, pretty quickly, and it's not like a, a big deal. I can see how people can feel insecure about it. And it's like, and I do feel like it's a little bit arrogant to say comments like what I just made. Because it's like when I hear people, it's when I hear really wealthy people saying that money doesn't matter. It doesn't when you have it. It does when you don't. And I, and I feel like there's a little bit of that going on here as well. Like to some extent, I could sit here with a little bit of, of cockiness saying how it doesn't matter because I do have it because at any given point I could lean on that or you see, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. But if I didn't, would that create a level of insecurity? I could totally see that. I'm just saying from a practical standpoint, I'm just seeing more and more where the work that people do, their actions, their experience is counting more now. I think that they had before. And I think it also aligns well to the fact that most people just work in different, they have more experience. They work in different kinds of jobs before it was like, Where'd you go to school? And then you worked in one place like your entire career, right? So I just think it matters more. I, I also think to the, la- the point you made earlier, um, we don't have to go too deep on this, but I do think that there is a little bit of a resurgence, recalibration, renaissance, whatever, around kind of doing something for real as opposed to, mm-hmm. you know, kind of being on a computer all day. Yeah, And it happens in my conversations more with people like my age but maybe there's something like that that is also happening in the younger generations. But for whatever reason, they haven't seen these roles as a way to express that desire. You see it in a number of other ways. Your Instagram point is one of them. Um, but it hasn't yet manifested itself in that way. Mm-hmm. I think it could. And look, either way, we need it because the demographic reality is such where the absence of these roles obviously is already driving up the whole economic picture, right? The, the prices mm-hmm. are getting more expensive, wait times are getting longer, but you have entire industries that are now dependent on this demographic cliff that we're really facing. Mm-hmm. Aviation's one, electrical work is one, HVAC, people's air conditioning's working. You want to talk about something you take for granted, like your the air way, conditioning working. Yeah. And there's no, there's not like younger HVAC people. And when that happens, it's like, it's never during a good time. It's always like you need it right now. Right you need now. it fixed right now. It's either hot or it's cold. The the an aviation one is aviation one is the one that I find really interesting. Do you think some of what we're seeing now, if there's a shortage, is in reaction to all of the massive like layoffs that there was? I mean, the airline industry has been beat up so much. And whenever you see the like pilots get fired, like I just feel like that's a kind of job that once you get fired by one of the big airlines, like what do you do? Like, it's like you're either in or you're out. See what I'm saying? Like, it just, I mean, I guess there's stuff you could do. You go teach, I actually, but it just, that feels like a tough one. And they bounce so many people from it. I wonder if that like soured people to that industry altogether. I'm sure that's a big part of it. But I think the bigger part of it is mm-hmm. stuff that you and I talk about all the time, which is if there's one industry that's missed the demographic evolution of this country, it's aviation. There was, it's a very specialized field and there was no need to really worry about it. 97% of pilots are white just so you get the stat, mm. right? Um, and there's not a need to worry about it if the pipeline is, you know, whatever. But we've come yeah. to the point now where if you look at people who are under 40, mm-hmm. they're going to be disproportionately people of color, right? Mm-hmm. 
And there's not been the same connection with the career, outreach to those communities, uh, you know, input into um, schools that are predominantly from those communities, et cetera, Mm -hmm. to offer this as an option. I think that's a big part of it because Mm -hmm. where does your pipeline come from if not younger people? What do young people look like? They look like this. So I think a big part of it has also been that. Mm. Yeah, yeah. That's my observation. Okay. Should we uh, should we get to courage or cringe? We should. All right. So you want to go first? No. Okay. Oh, I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna tie it in then to uh, yeah. to the point about Instagram that you mentioned a moment mm-hmm. ago. So I've actually got two. I've got a courage and I got a cringe. So I'm gonna start with the cringe. So the cringe that I have is from a New York Times article that says Gen Z embraces the distorted selfie using traffic mirrors. Have you seen this? No. You know what a traffic mirror is? It's kind of like the weird fisheye one that's on the corner of your building so you don't crash into the dumpster. Yeah. That. So apparently that the biggest movement is now doing selfies in mirrors like that to distort like yourself, right? Uh And this is indicative of the latest thing, which you mentioned, which is the perfectly imperfect phase Mm -hmm. of Instagram, right? With social media moving away from curation and celebrating imperfection, right? And this kind of selfie conforms to our current idea of, you know, this, whatever, this kind of like disfigured view of who I am so that Mm -hmm. I'm not being pretentious and whatever. The reason it's a cringe for me is because it is outwardly that it's like, I'm not being perfect, but of course now the movement is, how do you perfect that? How do you perfect (laughs) the distorted field of the traffic mirror? Right. So Uh, to me, it's like, it's like the snake eating its tail and ruin it immediately. Exactly. So the article is worth reading, but anyway, that that's uh, that's like, the one that I get in, in that same cringe. kind of food group. Uh, is this app be real? Have you heard of this? Oh yeah, yeah. So I saw it in real in real life action with my nieces. They were all over this, and yeah, it's a one. I think it's a once a day. You get like a notification, and you yeah, have what your friend is doing x amount of time to like no, like you get like a like a no, like hey, you have to post now. We're gonna be part of this, right? And it's a picture, right? And you put a picture, yeah. but it, but when you take a picture, it takes picture of both your front and back camera at the same time. So it shows you and then it shows the context of where you are. And the whole thing is like that is is just you're just being real. It's whatever whatever it is. And obviously the the goal is for you to like be yeah. like keep up with an everyday thing of doing this and to be more real than the other person. And of course, I'm sure fake. people will be like that's what's exactly what's gonna happen, right? Like people are like really going out of the way to figure out, I'm sure, how to like <laughs> how to how to like go around the system, right? To to have it be more curated or in any way whatsoever. So it's it just it's just funny. All right, so that's me. I do have a courage, but that's only if you didn't prepare. So go, Charlie. Okay, fine. So my courage is. I'll, the, I'll have his politics one. I really, I'm going to struggle with this. I'm, I'm going to need a couple of weeks to adjust. Okay, the four day work week. That's my courage. So if you if you look up four day work week, there's going to be literally fifty articles from just the last couple of weeks. But there's been a ton of very active testing of this idea of a four day work week. The latest is a six month trial, which began in February of last year. 33 companies, employees in six countries, okay? And it basically took the employee's workload down from four days or basically 32 hours a week. So that was that they capped the work week at 32 hours. Mm -hmm. What they found was an 80% um, 
sorry, they found that they could be just as productive in 80% of the time. The results were overwhelmingly positive. They reported increased revenue, improved employee health and well-being, and had a positive impact on the environment. I think this is one of those kind of kooky ideas. And I say kooky because who knows how it was born. Probably just somebody who didn't want to work that extra day. doesn't matter. It actually is a, is a good idea. And, don't you know, they have that in Europe where it's a four-day work they, they tested it there first, but they, mm. they, they don't have that that I'm aware of instituted yeah, right, yeah. as a standard. Mm. But to me, it makes perfect sense. The way the percentages work out is roughly, that would mean 60% of your week you're working, 40% you're not. Mm-hmm. And I think it's particularly meaningful because it gives you an extra day to um, you know, think creatively, to kind of detach from meetings and that kind of thing. And I know the effect that that has because normally, at least in my career, that's been what I do on Saturday, let's say. But now actually taking a day out of the week and doing that, I think it actually make you more productive for the rest of the week. This thing seems to be gaining steam. That's my courage. I hope it catches on. I, which I hadn't told you, I've actually implemented this now in my own life. Mm. So I'm taking Monday as, you know, kind of like a non-scheduled meeting day. Okay. Mm. The only meeting I've scheduled is one with you because I can't get you any other time. So, <laughs> so, uh, but besides that. I don't schedule any meetings Uh, and I'm using that particularly with our new content push and everything. I'm using that as a way to, you know, do different things, to think creatively, to think about the future, that kind of stuff. It is amazing how much like you really do need time to get, to become, to be creative, like to get in that flow. Yeah. It's so hard. It's so hard to like, as you're cranking from one thing to the other to then all of a sudden make the, you know, make the switch and try to try to be creative. It's really, really tough. So, I, I, I totally get that. I mean, look, I think as in terms of a movement in general, that seems like, a much healthier way to do it. Um, I, re- I really don't think it depends on the industry. Frankly, we're on the sports side, we've been talking about that like, we got to do weekends. We got to have people, more people on staff on the weekends because the reality is so much of what we're covering, talking about sports just happens ha- happens on Sundays or Saturdays and Sundays, right? So it's like the opposite. I think I'm going... <laughs> well, but it may, it may mean that those people don't work yeah, Tuesdays do, and Wednesdays right, you or Thursdays do, right, or right, right. You can still do four days. Correct. Yeah. That's true. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, All right, give me your politics one. Come on, I mean, there's so the much to do. It's with, what's his face, yeah. the guy who was. Uh, no, you know what? I, I would say um, my cringe is going to be um, uh, Joe Biden. Okay, yeah, it's going to be. Tell Joe me Biden. more. Yeah, I mean the whole the whole thing about uh, um, like documents that have been found now, multiple cases. It seems like a case. Look, there was good intent. Like, I don't, have you followed the story? They're pretty close to what it is. There's basically, I think at this point, at least three separate instances of documents that have been found that were, uh, um, yeah, that he basically shouldn't have had, right? Um, the first time was they were cleaning some office that he hadn't used in years. This is back from his VP days. Uh, they found some of the documents, immediately called the, um, uh, not the DOJ, but they called, uh, I'm blanking with the name of the organization. The, the National Archives? National Archives, thank you. They called the National Archives right away. Let's you know, uh, cooperate, get it to get your everything you need. And you guys, and I think the the goal, I think, with the SK was like, suffer quickly, do the opposite of what Trump did, pretend they didn't have it, hide it, whatever would be the case. No, no, we're going to cooperate immediately. That happened two or three days before the elections was going to happen, back in November. They didn't say anything. If I, the story kind of comes out, I think in December, and these guys, and at that point, a second set of documents have been found in a different location. And rather than the Biden administration admitting to the fact that, hey, we, we did find something, we immediately turned it over to the archives like you're supposed to do and are fully cooperating. They decide to only confirm about the first instance, not the second. And now a third time, a third thing has actually happened where they found a third set of documents. And to some extent, it's like, dude, 
I get this happens. I, I really do, because especially now that even Pence has, you know, documents that he shouldn't have. I get this happens, but this idea of trying to placate it or try to throw it under the rug, it just like I feel like that always backfires. In some ways, like kudos for doing the right thing and following the process you're supposed to follow. That's good. But and I get and I actually get the argument of like politically it didn't make sense to announce it two days before the election or whatever it was, like a couple of days before the election. Okay. But when they when you get called out, like that's a moment of you like, let it all out. Be like, yeah, you know, this happened, da, da, da. It just seems dumb. Like I don't understand the. I just don't understand. And the irony it, about it, it that feels is, like like shooting yourself in the foot. And, the, and there's so many dumb things happening in the Republican Party right now that is like, why are you giving them ammo? Like why? Yeah, why are you doing that? Spoiled you know? for choice. Yeah, I, I guess the I irony too on that one is the whole uh, Trump uh, documents and that raid happened before the midterms, right? Like like it was for all sure. released before and announced before and may have had an impact on well that's my point but in shows. this case you're you wanted to handle it very differently the problem with trump is that he denied having it wouldn't give access i mean he's like fighting the entire time gets his home this place, place raided okay you do the opposite we found some stuff you call the archives okay at least that's good but you don't tell nobody until but you don't after, tell anybody yeah. and then not only you don't tell nobody but the fact that it happened again and right. then you don't disclose that second part but Until the third but, time happens. But admit that the first one happened. It's like, right. dude, what are you doing? What yeah. are you doing? It's yeah. like yeah. when it's you're caught in a lie and you're like <laughs> trying to only give an information. Uh, I don't know. Man. The right, it's, it's the, dumb. The, the, the right wing, uh, the MAGA conspiracy on this one is that they're, they're uh -huh. now trying to get rid of him. That's the conspiracy. Oh, really? Part. That's a conspiracy? That's oh, that's interesting. The conspiracy is like, why would anybody have found these? And it's like so random and we just keep finding more of them. And yeah, it's like, that's true. Nobody, you know, this guy's out. They're going to get rid maybe, of them. Maybe this that's is the way to do Oh, I had not thought about that. That's, yeah. that's 3D chess right there. I love that one. You know Dude, I got to start listening to more right-wing media. That's how it is. Just listen. <laughs> love it. Just love listen it. to you some Tucker. We'll figure it out. <laughs> figure it out. All right. Exactly. Well, Jesus, I'm, I'm glad we're back into it, even though you did bring up a political topic, which is, know, of course, I, against the rules. I am working on it. I am working on it. You'll am, get there, my I am friend. Recovery. <laughs> you will be. Yes, you're in recovery. You will get there. Um, and uh, glad to be with you in 2023. We're excited about uh, this kind of conversation uh, moving into the future. As always, we invite you to listen to other points of views, to look for light, not heat. And we'll see you again next time on Unsiloed. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. My son had a gift with technology. With reliable internet at home through the Internet Essentials Program, the world opened up. He's part of this next generation of young people who feel they can thrive. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to help open doors for the next generation with the connectivity and skills they need to build a future of unlimited possibilities. 